Hello and welcome to Restoration Church's teaching podcast. We are in Prescott, Arizona. My name is Nate Huss and I'm one of the team members here. And uh, if this is your first time, welcome. We're so glad that you could tune in. And yeah, if you'd like to connect with us or learn more, jump over to restorationaz.org. And uh, before we get going, I just want to encourage you, will you take a moment and just pause really quick? Every week um, at the end of the teaching, we always participate in communion. And so I would love for you to go grab uh, a small glass of grape juice, or if you don't have grape juice, just a glass of juice. If you don't have that, if you just have water, that's okay. Um, It's all about remembrance. And so grab that, uh, a small little piece of bread or a cracker, something that you have, and join us as we participate in communion at the end. And so we feel like there's no greater application at the end of listening to God's word than allowing the spirit to unify us through communion and remembering what Jesus has done for us. So take a moment, pause, go grab that. Also, now that you're back, will you please take a moment just to grab your Bible, open it up to Mark chapter nine, and we are going to dive in together. So this week we are back into our teaching series of the gospel of Mark, and we are in chapter nine. And with that said, we're going to dive back into our 14 year series in the gospel of Mark. And Ron will be uh, teaching in Mark chapter 9 today. He's speeding it up a little quicker than me. I made it through seven verses. You make it through like 17 today, so that's a plus. (laughs) I don't know if it's a plus. Um, We'll find out. But before we do dive into the scriptures, we do want to make uh, one announcement that is significant and exciting. Ron, I have had the privilege of Ron playing uh, various roles in, in my life in the last seven, eight years. Mentor, friend, boss, co-worker. Um, and throughout that time, I have learned a ton from him. You, you might not have known, as we planted this church just about five years ago, Ron was on our management team and played a, a significant role in us being launched and, and planted as a church. And we've stayed in touch and uh, had the opportunity to continue to follow Jesus together. And what I'm excited to announce today is that Ron is going to officially join our church family as we seek to trust Jesus always, no matter the moment, and follow him in the, the everyday stuff of life together. And here's why I'm excited about that. Ron is a phenomenal teacher. I've learned a ton from him. You're going to continue to learn a ton from him. But I'm not just excited about the from him part of this, but really the with him. It's a true privilege to to link arms, all of us together, not just our staff or our elders, but us as the body of Christ. And we each come with our own strengths and gifts and opportunities that God has given to the body and also our own weaknesses and vulnerabilities. And when you bring that together, Jesus does something brilliant and beautiful. And so I'm thankful for how he continues to to lead our body and that Ron is officially going to be a part of our family moving forward. So we just welcome Ron this morning. Thank you, guys. Um, yeah, the, the last like seven, eight months, it's been such a privilege for me and my family just to find a church home here. And so we're enjoying and celebrating that just to be a part of this family and to kind of now transition into a different season. Um, I'm kind of simple when it comes to ministry. Um, just any opportunity for me to be able to um, teach God's word and love people that's really where my heart's at. It doesn't get a whole lot more complicated for me than that. And that can show up in a whole bunch of different ways, a whole bunch of different opportunities and ministries throughout the life of the church. Wherever I can come alongside and help, that's what uh, I'll be excited to be able to, to do. So thanks for the privilege and uh, thanks for making this home for our family. Yeah. 
Awesome. Ben, uh, ben Baker is one of our elders. He's like, what are you doing? Would you mind uh, just praying for, for Ron and us as this marks uh, another stage of where Jesus is, is leading us? Amen. Thanks, Ben. Well, folks, we're going to be in Mark chapter 9, as Landon said. So if you've got your Bible, you can open up there, and we're going to start at verse uh, 38. We're actually going to finish Mark chapter 9 today, and uh, I'm just going to give you a warning right as we start. Um, what we're going to work through here at the end of Mark 9, not all of it is easy, uh, some of it's not easy because it's around a conversation that we don't always like to uh, hear about or talk about. And then some of it's just not easy because the, the, it's difficult to interpret. So we'll do our best to work through uh, this, this important part of Scripture together and uh, see, see what God has for us. Um, it's super good to be back. I've been gone for almost a month and been doing some camp speaking in California. Um, most of it was with the junior high age and uh, just super quick, like to get a glimpse of one of the weeks, um, just take a quick look here for just like four seconds. Um, there's a lot of energy with junior hires. Um, and so with, with lots of energy means there's a lot to feed off of. And then it like literally like sucks any energy that you have directly from you. Um, so it's kind of a give and take sort of situation, but it was, it was a lot of joy to watch what God's up to in their lives was super encouraging. There are these moments of joy and celebration that, that because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, that we've got reason to celebrate there's other moments that are more challenging. The, the camp I went to after this one was a family camp. And so there were all these families there. When it came to chapel, they'd have the, um, the students or kids go off to one area. And then um, I hung with the adults. And during that week, I heard the story of a newly engaged couple that were there. Uh, the Christian family with a Christian daughter, um, last minute, had one more spot open up. And so they invited their, their uh, engaged son-to-be, who was actually a Muslim. And he came, and really sweet guy, got to talk to him throughout the week. Um, but just hearing what was going on in his heart and his life, and now their wedding to come, what was that going to be? And what was that going to look like, being kind of unequally yoked, or however you want to describe it? Um, and then on the very last night of camp... They gathered all the families together, and there was a handful of us just got to pray with couples. And these couples came forward. We spent a long time praying, and just before I was going to go teach for the last time, one couple ran up and said, wait, 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 is it, is it over? Can, can we still get in? Just, and I, yeah, that's fine. And they came up, and we're just huddled there. I'm not mic'd or anything. And they said, we haven't told anybody else this, but tomorrow we're getting a divorce. 
And, and from the high highs to kids celebrating and seeing God tangibly at work in so many ways, and then you could almost hear the squealing of brakes and, and really difficulty in a marriage. And I mean, isn't that real life? I mean, that, that was crazy. So I said, guys, we'll pray for sure, but we need to talk a little bit more. And so after that session was over, we hung around, we chatted with them for a little while. God's still working on them. You can be praying for them. Um, they at least made a commitment to not go any further in a decision until they got some godly counseling. And so we'll be praying for them. They had no sooner walked away and now I'm wiped out. And then the engaged couple comes walking up and the guy was just in tears. And his fiance said, he really wants to accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior, but doesn't quite know how. And would you help? And so we had a conversation and this Muslim guy accepted Christ. And so, I mean, you talk about a roller coaster. It was the most exciting and draining sort of thing, all, all wrapped into a handful of weeks. But following Jesus is like that. We've got these moments where Gosh, we can sense him, we can feel him, and, and it's, it's such a joy to be a follower of Jesus. And then there are times where it's difficult. There's challenges in following Christ. And I feel like uh, if, if my sin isn't getting in my way, then sin is getting in my way. And what I'm seeing with Jesus as we read through Mark that really what it is core to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, is to get out of the way so that he can lead. And the more that I get out of the way, I get my sin out of the way, I get myself out of the way, and the more I let him lead, the better off that I am. And you see these disciples kind of wrestling with it. Last week, you see them wrestling with even a conversation amongst themselves. Who's the greatest among us? See, they're, they're getting in their own way. But Jesus keeps calling us back to, hey, your sin and yourself, and not to delineate too much between those two, but our sin or ourself, it's always going to be vying for the driver's seat of our life. And Jesus is saying, hey, it's always better when you let me sit in the driver's seat. It's always better when you let me lead. And that's what we kind of dive into here. Look at verse 38. It says, John said to him, to Jesus, teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. See, if it's not ourself or our sin, sometimes it's other people uh, that kind of get in the way. And even sometimes other believers. You ever had a fellow brother and sister in Christ kind of tweak you the wrong way? Or maybe someone at another church where you go, hey, I don't know if they're doing it the right way. I don't know if they've got it all together like we've got it all together. You know? And, and we can kind of get really into these camps. And the irony here is that just a little while before this, the disciples themselves were around someone who was possessed by a demon and they themselves couldn't cast out the demon. And now they're seeing someone else cast out the demon and they want to put that 
to an end. Now, we don't know if there's some jealousy there. We don't even know so much about this person who was casting out the demons. He could have been maybe one of John the Baptist's followers. It could have been one of the 70 that Jesus had already sent out. But we know enough about this person that he had a faith and trust in Jesus to cast out a, a demon. And that's just kind of an interesting little side note. Uh, if you're taking any notes, you, you just might want to keep in, in mind that, honestly, you guys, we can celebrate whenever or wherever the biblical Christ is being proclaimed. When Jesus is doing his work, when Jesus is being preached, when Jesus is being proclaimed, we should celebrate that. We could celebrate what God's doing at Prescott Christian Church and at Cornerstone and, I mean, all these different churches in our community. If it's a biblical take on Christ, and if it's not a biblical take on Christ, then, well, we're probably not talking about the same Christ, so then we might part ways. But somebody else may have a different philosophy of ministry over here. They may use different methods over here. We can let God deal with the motives. We can let God deal with the nuances of this teaching and that teaching. But when it comes to the gospel, if it's the core biblical gospel and the core biblical Jesus, then we can celebrate when God's at work. And I want to be a part of a community. I already am. That's, that's like that. Well, then he goes on verse 39. Look at Jesus' response. Don't stop him said Jesus, because there's no one who will perform a miracle in my name who can soon afterwards speak evil of me. That's interesting. For whoever is not against us is for us. That's good for us to keep in mind. We're not going to let other people, especially other believers, get in the way. It's very difficult to judge someone else's heart. We can judge fruit in our own family where we've got relationships. But when it comes to the rest, we're going to let God be judge. Verse 40, 41. And whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of my name, since you belong to the Messiah, I assure you, he will never lose his reward. Verse 42. But whoever causes the downfall of one of these little ones who believe in me, and little ones here is not the kids he's talking about earlier. Little ones is talking about people that are maybe a little more immature in their faith. It would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Okay, it went from kind of intense to very intense from the words of Jesus here pretty quick. But again, what we're just kind of hearing from Jesus is this. When we're all trying to follow Jesus, we're all trying to learn from Jesus, we're trying to grow deeper in our relationship with Jesus, we're, we're trying to serve Jesus. And there are challenges with that. It's not always easy. But Jesus reinforces, if anyone comes alongside and, and helps someone trying to follow Jesus or serve Jesus, there's a blessing for them. Whenever you and I come along someone, maybe it's kids in our own church, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's someone, a brother and sister in Christ that you already know, they're just starting their relationship with Jesus. When you and I come alongside and help someone, give a cup of cold water in my name, we're going to help someone else grow in their relationship with Jesus. 
There's a blessing in that. Why? Because we need help. And God can help us directly through his spirit, but he often uses his people to help them grow up. And that's what I love about this. There's a huge blessing when you and I help people follow Jesus. Like 20, 25 years ago, I I had just got a computer and because it was 25 years ago, it was the size of my car. Do you remember those days? They used to be enormous. And the, the internet had only been out for maybe two or three years at this time, like available to mass public. And you remember that. It was dial-up. And, and you'd have to wait six and a half years to find the website that you were looking for. And then when you found it, uh, it would go goodbye, and then it would log you out, and then you'd have to start all over, and you'd be 35 before you found the website again. It was just the way that it worked. Well, I I was telling my friend, you know, I got this new computer, and it, it has the internet, and we had started to hear that the internet also had some really unhealthy stuff on it. And I was just telling my friend, his name was Phil, Phil, I don't want to get bogged down. I don't want to get trapped in this junk that's on the internet. I wouldn't even know how to find it but I don't want to. And we talked about it. We prayed about it. About nine o'clock that night, I mean, I'm getting ready for bed. There's a knock on my door and I go to the door and I open it up and it's Phil. I said, Phil, what are you doing here? He said, I came to get your computer. He said, you don't need a computer at home. You're single. You live alone. You can use the one at work or you can come over to our house and use our computer. And what he was doing was, in effect, giving me a cup of cold water saying, I I want to help you follow Jesus. If there's something that could hinder your walk, I want to take that out of the way. And I think there's a blessing. I know there was a blessing for me in that, but there's a huge blessing, I think, for Phil even in that, that he took a tangible step to come alongside and help me better follow Jesus. Now, I thought it was a little weird at the time. I thought it was a little extreme. He said, we'll give it a couple of weeks. We'll see how you do. And then if you do okay, then I'll bring your computer back. I went, oh, thanks, dad. You know, it just felt so odd. But then, you know, he was, he was actively trying to help me follow Jesus. And that was such a huge gift and a huge blessing. The flip side is true. When he says that it's better for Somebody that had made somebody stumble who's trying to follow Jesus, better if they drown. There's trouble for people who make believers stumble, make immature Christians stumble. And you guys, you know, there's a number of ways we can make people around us stumble. And we should be kind of alert to that. It's easy to make people stumble if we do it directly. I I could make you stumble. You could make me stumble in a direct manner. You solicit me to sin. You ask me to participate with you in some sort of sinful behavior. That would make me stumble in a direct manner. You could do it in an indirect manner, though, too. You could indirectly make me stumble. Um, Maybe just by having a bad example. It's not that you're asking me to participate, But every time I'm around you, what you're saying, what you're doing, every time you post something online, the way that you dress or the way, you don't know it and maybe you didn't mean to, but it's making me stumble. Or I think we can make people stumble by not 
directly giving them godly counsel or advice. It's kind of the sin of omission. I don't want to directly make my kids stumble. I don't want to indirectly make my kids stumble. But I also don't want to make them stumble by not investing in them spiritually. Not praying for them. Not having a good relationship with them. Not spending time in meaningful biblical conversation with them. And the enemy loves those moments. He loves those moments when we make other people stumble. And then it gets even more severe. Read with me, verse 43. And if your hand causes your downfall, cut it off, okay? He's talked about if someone else causes you to stumble, if you're causing someone else to stumble, see, when people get in the way of each other, now he's just saying, hey, when you get in your own way, your hand, your foot, your eye gets in your way, it's a big deal. Look at what he says. Your hand causes your downfall, cut it off. Now, he's obviously not recommending self-mutilation here, but he's using a word picture here. Sin is severe. It's serious. So be serious in how you deal with it. It's better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell or lead you to hell, the unquenchable fire. Now, hell references there... um, Gehenna in the Greek, or what was called the Valley of Hinnom. South of Jerusalem, there was a valley called the Valley of Hinnom. And everybody that lived near Jerusalem would have been familiar with it. In the Old Testament days, they used to offer child sacrifices to fake gods, namely this god of Molech. They would light the bottom of the valley on fire. They'd get up on the ridge above and they would offer child sacrifices to this fake God there. Disgusting. King Josiah in the Old Testament put an end to that practice, that wickedness. But by the time Jesus is using this phrase, the valley of Hinnom had been turned into the city dump for Jerusalem. It always had a fire burning at the bottom and all the trash, all the debris, all the dead animal carcasses, all the uh, dead bodies, everything would go in there and it was just constantly on fire, city dump, burning it up. When the winds would change, guess what smell would blow into town? And so it's a picture of just really where our sin will, will take us. And it would have been one that would have caught their attention. And then he references three times here, he references from Isaiah something that Isaiah had said to really get the attention of the people of God about their sin and where it will lead them. He says, go to hell where the unquenchable fire, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And then if your foot causes your downfall, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell, the unquenchable fire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes your downfall, gouge it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. He's saying, hey, sin will affect the whole of us. From what we see in the lust that we take in, where our feet can take us into sin, what our hands, our actions can do sinfully, It's really a heart issue, but it makes its way through all of us. It's a big deal. And the enemy loves sin. Sin really is just disobedience to God. 
Sin is thinking we can operate independent from him. We don't have to listen to him. But that's why God hates sin, because of what it does to me and you. He hates sin because it wrecks your heart. It separates kind of you from you. He hates sin because it separates you from other people. He hates sin because it separates you from him. He doesn't hate you, but he can't stand sin. And that's why he's trying to get it on our radar because left undealt with, it leads to death. It'll lead to that eternal separation from him. And he can't stand the thought of that. But the enemy loves it because it'll steal the joy. It'll kill parts of you. It'll kill relationships that you've got. You know, a long time ago, Eskimos used to do something. Eskimos, like in the 1800s, they were having trouble with wolves coming in and picking off their livestock. And so what they would do is they tried staying up all night and watching out with a weapon. They, they tried uh, putting fences up. It wasn't working. So what they ended up finding was, would work for a while was they would take these giant butcher knives and they would dip the blade of the butcher knife down into blood and they'd let the blood freeze over the blade of the butcher knife, essentially making like a giant blood popsicle with a butcher knife blade underneath. They'd make dozens and dozens of these things, and then they would stick them handled down in the snow in a perimeter around their livestock. Now the wolves out in the forest would smell the blood, and they would come in and completely ignore the livestock that were fair picking just a few feet away. And they would begin to lick up the blood that was frozen to that butcher knife blade. It was easy to get to. And they would get whipped into such a frenzy. They loved the taste of it and the feel of it. And it was easy to get to. But because of the frozen nature of it, whipped into a frenzy, they would numb out any sensation in their mouth. And they would lick all the way through the frozen blood and get down to the butcher knife blade below. And pretty soon, because they were so numb, they couldn't tell the difference between the blood that had been frozen to the blade and their own blood that was now getting ripped up as their tongue and mouth was getting shredded to pieces by this butcher knife blade. And the wolves would bleed out and die. It was gruesome, but it worked. And I feel like the enemy loves to do the exact same thing with us. He loves to put these temptations all around us to sin and they're easy to come by. If we're honest, it all feels good for a brief moment. If sin didn't feel good, none of us would do it. And so we rush in, but the problem is that when we get into it and our hearts kind of just get used to it, we can get numbed out to it. And Timothy talks about our hearts or consciences being seared as with a hot iron. And when we just kind of get addicted to sin, think it's not that big of a deal, allow it to exist, we just kind of numb out our hearts to the effects of it. And if we don't watch it, where does it lead? And the enemy loves where it leads. But the Lord can't stand it. And you guys, that's why Jesus came. If sin was no big deal, Jesus wouldn't have had to come and done what he did. But sin is a really big deal, and that's why he came. Your eternal life with him is a big deal. And that's why God's constantly saying, hey, 
I came so that you might have life, eternal life. Life to the full now and then for all of eternity. But this sin stuff will wreck it. And it's going to get in your way. Other people are going to try to get in your way. You're going to get in your own way. Sin's going to get in your way. Just have it on your radar. I got to meet a guy that had kind of mentored me for, for decades without even knowing it, just through his books. And he was speaking at one of the camps I was at two weeks ago. His name's Dr. Jim Burns, and one of the things he referenced is the exact same thing that I'm thinking of right now. He used the phrase, you're going to deal with either the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. And when it comes to dealing with our sin, when it comes to the severity of thinking about like eternity separate from God, Honestly, as followers of Jesus, we need to choose either the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. We either learn what it is to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness, or we're going to learn to deal with the regret that comes with sin running its full course in my life or in the lives of people around me. I mean, you think about, you see what's in common there, the word pain, (laughs) And that's kind of a drag because I don't like to experience pain of any sort. When I think about discipline, I don't like discipline. When you think about those of you who have ever had to diet before or you're dieting right now or those of you that exercise, that, that's the pain of discipline. I can't stand dieting. I can't stand exercising. Why? Because there's pain involved. It hurts to not eat ice cream after every meal. It hurts to lift weights or to run up a hill. I don't like it. But if I don't train myself for the pain of discipline, then I trade it for the pain of regret. And the pain of regret jiggles around right here. The pain of regret shows up in my arteries. The pain of regret could lead to something catastrophic physically for me when I'm too young, that impacts my wife and my kids. Now you take it to a spiritual level. And and the Lord knows, like, we either wrestle with the pain of disciplining ourselves toward godliness. And if there is sin in our life, we don't just leave it. We've got a gracious God that Landon reminded us of in the confession time. That Nate or Hammy, what'd you say his character's name was? Referred to this gracious God with these loving arms that welcomes us in. Look at how he lands. Hang with me on these last two verses. Because these are difficult ones. They're not so difficult to receive. They're just a little harder to interpret. And in, in studying, there were tons of debate about it. Verse 49, Jesus says, for everyone will be salted with fire. Everyone will be salted with fire. Um, Other places where salt appears in the gospels, then there's usually a description of all the benefits of salt. And then there's a call to remind us that you and I are the salt of the earth. And we're supposed to be beneficial and flavorful and preservative like salt is. Okay, that makes sense. Um, This says everyone will be salted with fire. 
Now, some people translated this or interpreted this to mean that everybody is going to experience the fire of trials, hardships, and challenges in life. Everyone's going to be seasoned with any Christian. If you're trying to say no to sin and yes to Jesus, you're going to experience trials. I think that's true. There are other scriptures that would affirm that. But there's a little more probably going on here. The place that salt and fire intersected was a reference probably back to Old Testament practices of offering sacrifices. In the Old Testament, there were five categories or five types of sacrifices. Most of them had to deal with animal sacrifices, and a few of those dealt with dealing with your sin. You offered an animal as a sacrifice, kind of as a substitute atonement for your sin. But where salt was mixed with fire was in the grain offering. And if you got really excited, you could go read Leviticus chapter 2, and you could get really excited about the grain offering. But the grain offering wasn't an offering for our sin, The grain offering was a free will, voluntary offering of worship and devotion to God. And and that's where you brought grain, wheat or barley, and then you salted it. And salt was a representation. It represented the preservative nature of God, the faithfulness of God to preserve his people. And so reality is, is that everyone will be salted with fire is probably just a reminder, hey, if you really want to say no to sin and yes to Jesus, that's a radical devotion to get to that place. That's a radical act of worship. You know, Romans 12.1 says, this is your spiritual act of worship, that you would offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That's a reminder, you guys, when it comes to following Jesus, we have a radical part to play. We do. We've got the Holy Spirit inside of us. We've got his strength and power. We have choice to follow him or not. We've got choice just to continue to ignore him or not. We've got choice to engage more and more in sin or or not. We have a radical part to play. But better than that, this salt repetition that shows up, it's actually just a repeat. It's wordplay with salt. He's not carrying a similar thought through. Salt is the link through. And salt is a reference to preservation. And namely, God's the one who preserves. So the weight isn't so much on my shoulders, on your shoulders. Yes, we have a part to play. The reminder is God is going to work out for good those who love him. God's going to be faithful to get you through to the end. God, if you're abiding in him, if you're saturated in him, he's the one by his grace and through his strength is going to walk you through any trial, any temptation, any hardship, God is faithful to you. He's never, ever going to leave you. So you stay linked to him. Sin comes and he is going to pull you through if you stay abiding in him. 
He's saying, but you, you, you have a singular focus on God. You devote your heart to him and he'll get you through it. Look at what it says. Salt is good, but if the salt should lose its flavor, how can you make it salty? In other words, not salty, salt is worthless. It just needs to be thrown out. Now, salt, sodium chloride is a very stable compound. It really can't lose its saltiness. But in their day, sometimes in different marketplaces, and then uh, I guess in the Dead Sea, the salt that came from there would be mixed with other minerals that would kind of dilute how salty salt was. It would, it would minimize the flavor of it. In other words, if you and I have kind of a mixed devotion to God, a mixed heart, a half heart in following him, I've got one foot full on in my sin, and I'm not going to cut off the foot. I'm not going to cut off the leg. I'm not going to cut off a baby toe. I'm not going to cut any of it off. I'm going to keep one foot planted there. But I really like Jesus. I'm going to keep one foot planted over here too. Then in effect, it's that diluted faith. It's that diluted devotion that really isn't worth that much. It's a lukewarm sort of perspective. And then lastly, he says, have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. In other words, like stop your fighting, stop your elevating of yourself, stop getting in the way of yourself, stop letting sin get in your way, stop letting other people get in your way, be at peace. Have salt amongst yourself was probably another reference to a whole different thing, which was called a covenant of salt. Back in the Old Testament, they would do it, and then they had a practice in the Middle East in general that if you got in a fight with somebody and you were making peace or making a truce, you'd take salt as a symbol of a preservative bonding of your relationship, and you'd each eat a little bit of salt and make a covenant of peace. God's just saying, get out of your way. Get sin out of your way. Make sure you're not getting in the way of other people. Make sure other people aren't getting in the way of you in your devotion to God. And know God wants to preserve a relationship with you more than anything. Easier said than done, right? Getting out of the way so that God can lead. God wants to sit in the driver's seat. In other words, I wonder, if you were driving down the road and you saw Jesus hitchhiking, and you drove right by and you were like, whoa, Jesus, that was Jesus back there on the side of the road. Crazy, but you just kept driving. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Eh, probably not. You're driving down the road. You saw Jesus hitchhiking. You pull over and you pop the trunk. And you say, oh, Jesus, fancy meeting you. Why don't you get in the trunk of the car of my life? Just cram in next to the spare tire and the trash back there. And you put Jesus in the trunk. You slam the lid shut and you drive off. Is that full devotion? Probably not. You're driving down the road, you saw Jesus hitchhiking, and you pull over and you say, hey, Jesus, why don't you get in the back seat of the car of my life? You can listen to my music, Jesus, and at least you're going the same direction that I want to go. Just don't talk too much from the back seat. I don't like a back seat driver, Jesus. You drive, I got Jesus here. I don't think that's what he wants. Not even if we were driving down the road, you saw Jesus hitchhiking, and you ask him to ride shotgun. Jesus doesn't want to ride shotgun in my life. He wants my life to be swallowed up in his life. 
And so the real invitation is I'm driving down the road. I see Jesus hitchhiking. I pull over. I get out of the driver's seat. I pull the keys from the ignition. I walk over to Jesus and I say, Jesus, you drive. You take me where you want to go. You sit in the driver's seat. I'll ride shotgun. That's his heart for me and you. Not sin driving the life. Not me driving the life. Not someone else driving the life. Not our culture driving the life. But letting him drive us. Because he and only he is the one that can get us to where we need to go. I wake up every single day. And I'll be real honest. I want to drive. It's a struggle. But he knows that. And he's gracious with us anyway. And so this is a daily practice. I gave my life, I gave the keys to Jesus a long time ago. But every single day, I wake up and I say, Jesus, everything in me wants to drive. But I'm going to let you drive today. I'm going to get out of the way and help me, help me not grab the wheel. Help me. Be who you want me to be. Go where you want me to go. Say no to what you want me to say no to. And yes to what you want me to say yes to. I'll sit, passenger, and just listen and abide and connect while you lead. Let's let them do that together. So gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for these precious people here. Thank you that you use us to come alongside each other, to be kind of a tangible representation of your help. Lord, um, I'll just pray for those that are maybe struggling with a particular issue. I pray that you'd overwhelm them with your love right now, your grace right now. Remind them that you're not wagging a finger at them or shaking your head and disgust at them, but you're, you're loving them. And that those loving arms are just wrapped all around them. And that as they confess and agree, it's just agreeing with you that the sin is something that just wrecks us, but it's also why you came. It's why you didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but you made yourself nothing taken the very nature of a servant. You humbled yourself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. It's all the justice got satisfied on the cross, the justice of God. So that we didn't have to take the punishment for our sin. Lord, we have a radical part to play but we know that ultimately we're nothing without you. We can't fight sin without you. Thank you that our Christian experience is not just about sin management, but thank you that it's just about coming to you, letting you drive, get us out of the way. By your grace and your gentleness, remind us to get out of the driver's seat every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
As we do each week, we're going to continue to worship now in the, the form of, of taking communion together as the body. And, and something that Ron just said in his prayer sticks out, stands out to me so significantly. Christianity is not at all about sin management. Christianity, following Jesus, trusting Jesus in our lives has nothing to do actually with managing our own sin. What it is is a total identity transformation. It's us no longer relying on ourselves, but rather taking the the bread and the cup of Christ, his body and his blood, and as we take it in and consume it, we're recognizing that we now have the blood of Christ running through our veins, that he has said, I will take on the form of a man. I will enter and become who you are and lead you to become human the way we were made to be. What, what What a great metaphor for communion of just getting out of the way. That's such a simple, profound, yet challenging way to understand our faith. We're just getting out of the way and saying, Jesus, you've already done and you're continuing to do. And so I trust you in this moment. So we invite you now to the the table during this next song to, to take and to remember what Jesus has done, but also to know that as we exit here in a little bit, as the church, he's continuing to do through you because he's with and for you. And so during these next moments, feel free to come to the table and to take communion as we continue to worship and follow Jesus together. much for listening. Once again, we are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. And again, my name is Nate Huss. I'm one of the team members here. So glad that you were able to join us. And uh, if this is your first time listening or you've been listening for a little while and um, are still doing the online thing, I just want to encourage you, go get plugged in. Um, Restoration may not be the church for you and that's okay, but I want to encourage you, go get plugged in with the local body. Is there a church in your area that you could trust and join and and be a part of the body of Christ. There's something that is really valuable and important about journeying together with other people who are on the journey of practicing the way of Jesus. And so um, whatever that looks like, if restoration is a a place that you could call home and you're in Prescott, Arizona, or in one of the quad cities in the area, we would love for you to join us. If not, I just really want to encourage you Um, Go get plugged into a local body. It's really, really valuable. um, And I truly believe it is important for us on our journey of faith. And so, um, again, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to restorationaz.org. And as always, remember, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.